Should sticks and autos run together? All day We're long. Gonna... Let's do it. We did it in junior stock in Division One when we ran junior stock, and by and large, it was pretty damn equal. I'm Brian Anderson. And I'm Bobby Fazio. And welcome to another edition of Class Racing Today's podcast. All right, today we have a special episode for you. Thanksgiving Eve, November 25th, 2020. This year is flying by. I can't believe it's almost over. And hopefully it is over soon because I think we're all sick of it. Uh, but we do have a lot to be thankful for, including today's special guest, one of my buddies. Very excited to have him on. You all have heard of this gentleman before, Mr. Evan Smith. Mr. Evan J. Smith. Revan Evan. All right. Car enthusiast, racer, journalist, photographer. And he does it all. Test driver. All right. He's the former editor of Muscle Mustangs and Fast Forwards magazine which is now uh, Mustang360.com. He's the founder of Revin, Revin Media, Inc., uh, which he started in 2014. And he is a Brooklyn, Brooklyn boy who then transferred over to Jersey, but now lives it up down in Tampa, Florida. So we're all kind of envious of him right now. He's probably looking at sunshine and palm trees. <laughs> While we're sitting here looking at uh, snow and wind and leaves, so... From 07 to 2014, Evan served as the editor of Muscle Mustangs and Fast Forwards magazine. He's appeared in multiple television shows, including NHRA Today, NHRA Heat, the Fox 5 News up in New York, ESPN's Cold Pizza, and most recently, Burn Down Battle. This was great. This appeared on Fox Sports. This is where Evan coached an amateur drag racer uh, in a Mustang, late model Mustang, in a competition against the funny car driver, Jack Beckman. So... We'll definitely ask Evan about that. That sounds like a cool concept, Evan. I think maybe you should fly up to South Dakota and you can help coach me through some of my first victory, maybe. I can try. <laughs> <laughs> Evan has been a test driver for Ford since 2012 uh, for Ford Development. So he's driven some really cool cars, which uh, we'll be able to elaborate on. He's a multi-time NHRA national record holder and stock eliminator, 18-time NHRA class winner, uh, 2008 Division I junior stock champion. Oh, what else? He's won a Cobra Jet shootout in 2011, driving a 2008 Cobra Jet for uh, Bon Giovanni Racing, Anthony Bon Giovanni, good friend of ours. So without further ado, let's welcome Mr. Evan Smith. Evan, how you doing? Hey guys, what's happening? I'm doing great. And uh, yeah, we do have palm trees and sunshine. All right, that's enough. Enough of Evan. Let's, let's the show now. <laughs> just wanted to confirm that fact, but I was enjoying 33 uh, degrees and snow on Saturday up in Detroit. So I did get my little taste of winter and now I'm back. Uh, probably be poolside with a cocktail later. What? You're, you're in Florida, right? Yeah, Tampa. Okay. Maybe uh, we should do live on location at Evan's house is where we should be if we would have planned this right, Bobby. Anytime you guys want, come on down. I got plenty of stuff to do down here car-wise. I'm sitting in the simulator uh, chair with the uh, three monitors in front of me if we do that. You, you got it. I don't it. know how a guy lives in Florida. I want, 
I want to know why a guy that lives in Florida has a simulator. You can literally go outside and race and drive every day. We need that thing up here in South Dakota when it's snowy and cold. We can go. I know I had to do something during COVID, so I set up a whole giant simulate racing simulator. Nice. Oh, excellent idea. So, anyways, guys, real quick, not too many people knew, know this, but there was a um, national open at No Problem Raceway. And I just want to give a little shout out to Steven Yanis for winning the Hemi shootout. He beat Joe Tuton in the final, which was, I think there was four cars and it was a two round race. And in super stock, uh, um, Larry Stewart, Larry Stewart beat, um, who did Larry Stewart beat? Michael Bryant in the final. Larry Stewart's got an SS uh, F automatic and Michael Bryant's got a factory super stock D car. So congratulations to you, Larry Stewart. Congratulations to you, Steven Yantis. And Damian Acosta in F-Stock Automatic took out Brett Candiz, who's having a killer year, in his factory stock B car. So I just wanted to give those gentlemen a shout-out before we get into it with Mr. Evan Smith. So, Evan, obviously on this program, we always ask everybody, how did you get into racing? And more importantly, how did you get into racing Stock Eliminator? Now, we know that you, you raced at the famous Englishtown Raceway Park for uh, a couple years, six years when you were younger, 1988 to 1993, while you were attending college. Yep. Now, did you get this job? Like, were you just, hey, I need to make a couple bucks. Let me just work at this raceway because they're hiring. Or is it because, you know, I have a special interest in drag racing and I want to work where my interest lies. So what, what got you into it? I'll give you the reader, Reader's Digest version. So uh, my family moved from Brooklyn to East Windsor, New Jersey, um, which is kind of near Princeton, sort of, uh, between Englishtown and Princeton, maybe, uh, near Freehold. And at one point, I was always a car guy. Like, there's pictures of me from being this big holding cars. Cars were always everything to me reading hot rod magazines as soon as I could look at the pictures and all that stuff, just like most gearheads, uh, just no explanation why uh, I'm a car guy. Just it appealed to me from a young age. So I guess at some point I was probably an early teenager. I know it was well before I got my driver's license. There was a circle track called East Windsor Speedway, which is a pretty famous uh, dirt track in East Windsor. And then of course, English town which you could hear both tracks uh, when the wind was blowing correctly. And uh, especially like in the fall with the fuel cars and stuff at English town, I could barely hear it from my house, even though it was about 10, 12 miles away. So one day my dad says, Hey, let's go check out this drag racing stuff. And uh, he drag raced very little, not nothing like official or anything, but he went to the track a couple times as a kid out in long Island and stuff like that. So we go to the track, go up in the grandstands, and the first car that I remember seeing, I'm sure we saw a couple of cars, but the first car that really wowed me and caught my eye was Charlene Woods, tons of fun, Pontiac stock eliminator wagon. <laughs> I saw that car hike the left front wheel up in the air, launch and go down the track. And I was like, I have to do this. This is what I want to do. I want to drag race. I want to be involved in drag racing. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then, uh, you know, I'd take my cutting lawn money and any money I could scrap together. There goes my stupid house phone. I wish my wife would get rid of that thing. And uh, <laughs> it's never anything good either. Um, 
I'm just going to tell you your warranty's up on your Mustang. <laughs> right? So, anyway. From Norwegian Cruise. Norwegian Cruise. I've never even taken Hey, their stock is up today. Yeah, so me and my buddy Glenn would always, like, get our, our, our money and go to the track, allowance money, whatever, scrap and scrape and just go as spectators, um, have our parents drop us off. And then as soon as I got my license, I raced there a little bit in my 71 GTO that I bought. I broke it the first time I took it to the track. I blew the rear into like a million pieces. My dad was really mad at that because <laughs> um, I wasn't supposed to take it to the track because I had no money to fix it if it broke. And of course it broke, but you know, it didn't stop me. And uh, so then I got my five liter Mustang at some point when I was in college. And uh, I just wanted to be a part of racing. I just wanted any part. So I went to the track and it was like, they were just starting back on Friday nights, which was street night. So I would race my car every Friday night um, at the track. Just all I cared about was making time runs. I just want, I read the magazines. I just wanted to make my five liter go as fast as it could go. Um, still didn't really know a whole lot about stock or super stock. I just loved drag racing. And I always liked the production style sleeper muscle cars um, as far as what appealed to me. So I basically went up to Michael Knapp, track manager at the time, and said, hey, man, like, I want to work here. Like, can I announce on Friday nights? Like, I just want to announce the races. I never even did it before, but uh, I'll do it for free. So he was like, all right, you know, free is for me. So I started, I started announcing the races on Friday night. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was just talking about cars going down the track. It wasn't like anything crazy. Um, and then I started in the time card booth on Sundays, handing out time slips and eventually worked my way. I did the staging lanes. I worked in the bleach box. I helped Tom Resco on the starting line being the official starter when he needed a break. And then announced with Lewis Bloom on Sundays, I kind of ended up doing that quite a bit. So I, I've, I held almost kind of every job as far as track official at the track. I did tech. I was an SFI tech inspector for a while. I, could, I, I wanted to be versatile and I wanted to learn every part of it. Even went with Michael Knapp and did like some PR stuff at times, like helping him with car clubs, doing car shows. Um, and then from there, basically what happened was I'm at the track on a Friday night in the tower and Steve Collison, who was the editor of Muscle Mustangs at the time and former editor of Superstock, um, he was in the tower and talking to Michael Knapp. He needed a photo that night. And he was asking, I basically just overheard him say, hey, you know, I need a photo. Now I had always done photography. I was always into photography, not a great photographer by any means, but during my breaks at the track, I'd go out and take pictures just because I liked doing it. So at the time I was in college, uh, getting a, um, going for a teaching degree because I wanted to teach because I was a mechanic before that. And I was horrible at it and I hated working at the dealerships. It was miserable. So I had to get out of there and do something different. So I was going for teaching. So I'm in, I'm at the track that night and I overheard him say, I need a photo. Can anybody take the photo? And I just chimed in, Hey man, I can, I'll do it for you. And he looked over like, who are you? Michael Knapp said, ah, that's Evan. He works here. Steve Collison literally flipped me a roll of film and said, have at it, kid. Bring me the roll. Don't develop it. Bring me the roll tomorrow at the office. So I shot the pictures. I brought him the pictures. He liked them. And slowly but surely, he kind of started using me a little for freelance. And uh, that turned into a job, ultimately, that I switched my degree to English and journalism, finished that up, 
got hired by Muscle Mustangs and I worked there for 20 years. Started it as a uh, associate editor and ended up as the um, director of the whole Ford thing there, content director. How's wow, that? so interesting. I know I knew you had told me before that you started out as a mechanic um, and you, you know, just, you weren't into it. So it was the photography that got you just snapping pictures at English Town, working at English Town, which got you into the photography, which got you into the magazine, which is great. And that's how you got your career, which funded, I'm guessing, your racing habit. That uh... Yeah, the habit, the habit dug in. So as soon as, once I got a job at the magazine and established myself and realized that I could actually do it, even though I got a lot of help from a lot of people, you know, because my writing was pretty horrible in the beginning. Um, but I had the passion for it and I worked really, really hard to improve. And I knew the tech side of it because I knew cars and I just, I just did not like, I love working on cars. I just would, did not, was not cut out for the dealership life. I'm not fast when it comes to wrenching. And I just, I wasn't getting the kind of jobs that paid well. So, you know, that deal just didn't work out. Most guys at the time, this is like most time, most guys at the dealerships, were miserable at that time. I don't know. I just snow dripping down your back and it just wasn't for me. So the, uh, the magazine thing, I ended up meeting guys like Neil Van Opry, Jim Camposano, guys who I ended up working with and they were like, everybody was friendly and having fun. So I was like, this is, this is the, what I want to do. I want to go have fun. And, um, so the car, after a couple of years working at the magazine, I kind of proposed, um, in working, let me back up two seconds. So in working at the track, I fell in love with Stock Eliminator. I worked at the track from 88 to 93. Working the points races was always my favorite. Just again, I loved factory muscle cars. And so Stock Eliminator was the ultimate showcase for factory muscle cars, seeing how fast they would go. So I wanted to build my car into a Stock Eliminator car because um, I was already pushing the limits of how fast can you go with a stock five liter Mustang at the time. And uh, guys like Ed Holmberg, he was really probably the first one. Maybe I was the second along with Jeff Swanson to really try to do a five liter Mustang. And uh, Camposano thought it was a great idea. So we slowly built the car into a stock eliminator car with the goal of setting an NHRA record. That was the only goal. So we ended up after a couple of years getting the L stock record. I think I went 1207. The record was a 1225 and I went 1207 on a blistery, snowy almost day at Del Mar. And uh, Race Gardelli and Bob Oster were big helps with that, Ford guys from New Jersey. Um, Ray was like, well, just why don't you just buy a car? He's like, you're gonna build this fuel injected thing that nobody's run into a race car, you're crazy. I was like, Ray, I got like $12 to my name. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't buy a race car. So literally like I drove to the first points race, it was still a street car changed my tires in the pits. Like people thought I was off my rocker. I did that at Maple Grove and at English town. Uh, the first two events before I even could afford a trailer. I worked a sponsorship deal at Freehold Ford for a truck and off I went. Next thing you know, uh, we're putting headers on it. We're doing all the, the tricks. And I actually ran the index right on the L stock index. Um, I think I went a very high 12 on a 13 flat. Um, at the points race, driving it to the track with like 110,000 miles on the engine. Wow. I didn't think people drove their stockers to the track since like, I don't know, 
the 70s and here you were doing it the 90s so yeah, that's crazy was, can you back up a, a step and just say how, where did you get the car who where where did you uh well, find I, worked, it? I worked at dayton ford was my last mechanics job and uh the car came in off the hauler it was i was driving a 71 camaro at the time that was cool it was fun i had gm cars up until that point but i had seen in in rodding at random in hot rod magazine i saw that i was always like i said a sleeper muscle car guy so i saw it in hot rod magazine in sometime in like 1984 that you could buy a lx mustang 50 with a stick and i i wasn't like brand loyal or anything i just liked cars so and none of the gm cars were really fit like an iroc or was out of, out of control price wise they were like 17 grand but you could get the five liter mustang for like 10 or 12 grand especially in 85 and 86 so i basically just saved up my money i borrowed like 3500 bucks from my grandmother for a down payment got a loan for the rest parents co-signed and i bought a five liter mustang and i went from 60s and 70s muscle cars to a brand new car and i just started beating the heck out of it blew up the t5 a bunch of times and <laughs> just started doing all the tricks. I mean, you know how hot those cars were at the time. So all the magazines were covering everything. And, you know, I still drove it in college and broke it and couldn't afford stuff, but somehow I managed. That's when you asked dad, dad, that's what I, that's what I had to do back then. I still do it now. What am I, who am I kidding? Exactly. You know, it's, it's nice to have parents that help out. I, I paid for it and my grandmother did let me off the hook for a thousand bucks. I paid her back 2,500 and she let me off the hook a thousand bucks, which was nice, but. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm lucky. Um, I have a, a dad that can build his own engine, build his own transmission, build his own rear. And we've done it with used parts for years. So it's like, boy, is that a big help? Thanks dad. I wish I had that. My, uh, my dad is awesome at sports. He's not awesome at wrenching on cars. <laughs> pretty awesome dad so <laughs> bob you're not gonna believe this but i actually had a i kind of had a 5.0 mustang like i wanted one of those 85 86 like the i remember when i was in high school there was a kid that moved here from florida and he had one and on the back it just said stang it didn't say mustang <laughs> had like hubcaps on it and you want to talk about project sleeper like we would go downtown and that thing would destroy like i remember like when the stealth like the turbo stealth were out and one night I rode around with that guy, like he was kind of my hero. He was long hair, kind of a hippie looking kid, but that car just looked slow and holy cow, the thing was a rocket. I'm like, someday I want to have a Mustang, but luckily we uh -huh. didn't go down that path. Confession day here. This is Thanksgiving Eve special. How about that? Mr. Mr. I bash Ford week in and week out. Now you're outnumbered by the Ford guys and he comes, he comes clean. So good for you proud of you brian evan when so now i'm a high school kid this is late this is probably 1998 99 2000 ish um dad and i we've dad stopped racing super stock in about 92 i think and the car um our 65 sat in the garage for years but we would still come out to maple grove national event english town national event and we would mainly just go to watch stock and super stock so when we went there, I mean, we would we would just cruise the pits. We didn't at that point we weren't watching the pros anymore. We didn't care about funny cars, you know, top fuel. We cared about stockers. 
and we would always try and find where's Evan Smith's car. He's got a Fox body Mustang. Uh, John Pressing, where's John Pressing? Uh, where's Scardelli? I mean, we were just always hunting around for the Ford guys, the small block Fords. We loved them. And, you know, I had met you. I was sitting in at English Town in the national event uh, in a tower. Somehow we got tickets to the suite. I have no idea who hooked us up with those. And you were sitting right there. So you were there. My dad says, that's Evan Smith right there. Why don't you go talk to him? So I did. And I, I was just like, hey, you know, I want to get a Fox body Mustang. How do I make it go 12s? And you were just like, pretty easy. Just get aluminum heads and, and that'll rock intake. And you should be good to go. Like, and that, and that was what you said. And that's how I met you. And you probably don't remember it, but it was like 1990, maybe 2000, something like that. Right. So, and that's how I just started following. Every time I went to the track, I was like, where's that 93 Cobra? I love that thing. And you know, I don't, I don't remember that meeting, but I definitely remember chit-chatting with you and your dad in the pits, like over the course of years and years of being friends with you guys. Yep. That was our first encounter. We didn't start racing super stock till 2009. So that's when multiple, multiple encounters probably ensued after that. You were taking pictures. Uh, you got a couple photos of my car, which are really nice. And uh, that's how. I mean, that's how, that's how I knew you, but it was your car and John pressing had a, uh, he had an LX five Oh, uh, also stick car. So you guys were like my inspiration to get my Fox body as a stock eliminator car. In fact, I broke my car. Um, I had a brand new motor that I ended up breaking with 13 runs on it at Cecil. Um, right before when we used to do Cecil Indy and John actually broke right before that. And at the race before that, and John was kind enough to lend me that car one year to go to Indy. And uh, so I, I borrowed, I went up, got that car, went to Cecil. I, I never even sat in a thing. I think I went four or five rounds in it at Cecil and then took it to Indy and beat Tom Hemmingston for a class. Oh, I mean, I think I went like a round or two at Indy, but I had never even sat in it. And it was amazing how I thought how different that car felt than my car. Um, even though they're both Fox body Mustangs, just John's clutch set up. So it took me a little bit to brake set up to get used to driving it. But I, I, I have a cool photo of me in, a, in the Indy uh, class winner circle with that car. Um, so that's kind of neat. Appreciate yes. John. Uh, John's always been a great dude and uh, super, super nice to me. It's kind of crazy how you can get in someone else's car and just do better than you do in your own car. It's happened me a couple times also i think it's just because you don't expect you know i have no expectations yep. and it's it's like no pressure and it's like uh oh, four or five rounds so like playing golf with like somebody else's clubs right <laughs> <laughs> now what i do enjoy i mean the, the whole the whole idea behind our podcast is we're trying to get new people into the sport now i'm part of the 99 percent whose father uh or parent you know got them into it and got them started but you and Brian, I think, are like part of the 1% where, I mean, Brian won his car in a chance drawing and you, you know, you just started working at English Town, and I mean, your dad may have taken you there once or twice, but he didn't really race. And it's like, you guys are, you guys have that in common. So that's great. And we need more guys like you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, I think it goes back to my roots of somehow just some people love flashy paint and blowers and all the crazy stuff. I always liked the purity of sleeper muscle cars. I just always thought that was like being on the stealth was just so cool. Um, and I think watching the stalkers and 
from a mechanical standpoint, you know, it was, especially back then, it was the most affordable class. And those guys always seemed to get the most out of what they were working on. And that intrigued the heck out of me just watching, you know, especially the stick guys, me being a stick guy, uh, watching a lot of those cars run. So I think from a, from a mechanical standpoint, it's the most intriguing class to me because the rules are the tightest and yet somehow the cars seem to go awful, awful quick. Well, it's crazy how the rules just, I mean, everything, the efficiency levels, right? Like that's the craziest thing about stock. Like you can, the bracket guys can, Oh, I'm just going to put a bigger nitrous kit or, Oh, I just need to give it a bigger shot. Or I'm going to put a turbo in it. It's like, there's some basic fundamental efficiencies that stock eliminator cars have that applies to every single car out there and would make them a lot more consistent, but it's just like, Hey, let's put, let's push the easy button and put nitrous on it. Yeah. And you know, like even like whatever, whether it's a dot 90 car or whatever, I, I think all racing is cool. Hey, if you're out at the track, great. I just liked the science, figuring out the science behind the best clutch setup for the track that day and the best gearing ratios to, keep the motor just in that peak power uh, to get down the track and figuring out, you know, what valve spring combinations work, what headers are the best. I mean, it gets expensive, of course, because you're trying and constantly testing and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. But when you get it right and then you win some races or you set a record or something like that, it's just crazy satisfying. And you always have the ups and downs blowing stuff up or losing and, spinning or you know whenever you're trying to push the limits things definitely don't go right all the time but it's uh it's the victories i think that keep you really pumped up now evan you i mean you must have had some success you said you set a record with that 87 uh mustang 5.0 so it was project stalker that's a 302 a 225 advertised uh what 215 rated motor you switched it converted it into a 93 cobra what made you do it uh it was the cheapest way to go faster so for not a heck of a lot more money i knew that combination because those the the five liter um ho which you run in your stocker um the cylinder heads are just awful and it's got that the small throttle body and the intake's not that great so for basically switching the bodywork and then that allows you to run way better cylinder heads the better intake and 40 thousandths more camshaft um and i just thought it would really wake it up and it would be a lot of fun and it proved to be correct so it went from like a, i think i think the best ho pass i ever made was and i don't even remember if i was at legal weight but it went like 1158 or something like that 1156 on like a cold day at English town with the weight out of it, it might not have been a, a legal NHRA pass, but it went like 1150. And then like immediately the first time I ran the car as a Cobra, I think it went 1130. And then ultimately I got that combination to go 1065 at 123, which for a 235 horse engine was, was pretty good. And that was like in junior stock. And that equated to like 141 under the index at the time. Wow. Now that the 302 235, I mean, right now it's rated at 252. Is that because of you or yep. what was it rated at when you started? Was it a 235 rating? 235. 
screwed it up a couple times. Way to go. Way to go. Okay. You were yeah, that I, guy. Right where I screwed it up too. I screwed it up in a heads up race against Jim Roberts in, I think, Jay Stick at Maple Grove in really good air. And then I screwed it up again at English Town when I think 90% of the field got hit one year. It was literally like 50 degrees out. And I mean, you know how it is with a stick car. You can only put so much weight. You can only take out so much timing before the car just doesn't work right. And I think I went 122 under at like 109 miles an hour. And oh. <laughs> Jess Watson was all mad at me and stuff. I mean, I would have been mad at me too, but I tried. I mean, you can only, I, I, I did it the best I could, but it's, uh, you know, it's still a good combo. I mean, it's still, the last time I ran the car, qualified number one at, at, at uh, the Gator Nationals. And then I parked it, unfortunately, but I think I'm going to rebuild it and get it back out there. Oh, well, I can so, fly down to the Gators and run it for you next year. That's no problem. So Evan, that, that brings me up to a question I had. What do you think about like the automatic horsepower? Like, do you think that should be able to be reduced again? Or, you know, how NHRA basically said, if you've ever been hit with horsepower, it's no longer reviewable. Um, like, what are your thoughts on that? So they're not going to take horsepower off ever again if you once it's been hit. That's the way I understand it. Yep. Yeah, I don't like that. I mean, over after I think it's it's such a catch twenty two with the horsepower system because you have combinations like mine that only a handful of people have ever even run. I think there's been three Cobras: me, Jeff Swanson, and. Um, one of the uh, rusty hall i think is running that combo now and then you have combinations that have hundreds of cars over time that have run them the 350 camaros and whatever that are just immensely popular so if you have a combination that's immensely popular and you have all this data gee nhra should be able to figure out right like you have all this data they know where that should be and there really shouldn't be a whole lot of changes but then you have a combination that maybe hasn't been run and one guy goes fast and then another guy tries to run it and can't get it to fall out of a tree. So I think there has to be a balance somewhere in the middle of a proper review, properly looking at the data and properly figuring out where a combo needs to be. Um, I don't believe that you should just be able to write a letter over time because nobody's run it and get horsepower taken off it just because. But I also, at the same point, think that fair is fair. Um, and some combinations just, you know, they need a little help. And, I'll, and just like anything else, stock eliminator is like the only class and super stock to a degree where you can run 50, 60-year-old cars and be competitive. In really any other form of motorsports, that doesn't exist. They don't run, you know, 1975 Buicks in NASCAR, everything's brand new. Formula One, everything's brand new. Pro Stock, everything's brand new. Comp, if you're not staying on top of the technology, you're dead. You're not running a 15-year-old comp combination. So you have like 50 years worth of combinations. A, it's impossible to make it fair. You just, there's thousands of potential combinations in stock. How the hell can any sanctioning body make that fair? So it's to me it's it's a balance but at the same point in time you got to be realistic and at some point if you're a racer you have to get real with yourself and say well 
if I want to be competitive and I want to win, maybe it is time to step up to a better combination, a newer combination. You know, how can you be, expect to be competitive with a 50-year-old car that you're racing against new cars? I, I, don't, I don't think you should be able to be fair all the time in a class that's not a nostalgia class. That's, you know, that's the reality of racing is that, you, you know, you have to get real with yourself sometimes and go, look, look at the Hemi cars, right? The Hemi cars at Indy this year are running pretty much 840s. Maybe somebody got an 830 out of one of them. Not too long ago, that was just like the creme de la creme. But they, now look at Factory Showdown, and those guys are going sevens, and they've kind of taken the spotlight away from the Hemi cars a little bit as far as like a heads-up deal. And as hard as you work on a Hemi car, you're not going to get one of those cars that go 770s. Right? It's just, you know. No, you would have to stretch rules further than further than they probably already are right now. Right. And I guess I get that the new cars have a blower and all, but look what the super stocks have big engine, big tire. So if you it's it's you go and it's spotlight too, right? Like if you're a Hemi guy and you feel like you're not getting the spotlight, well, go build a showdown car. Easier said than done, I guess. I know. It. Which one's cheaper now? <laughs> uh, Hemi car. <laughs> wow. Probably, I guess. I don't know. I mean. Well, with the kind of power you were making with those with that Cobra, and I, I do agree it. I mean, there's nobody. You're saying Rusty Hall runs it now, and uh, Dean Cook was running, I think he had a 95 Cobra. Yep, same engine. And I just, uh, yeah, I would like to see more of them out there, but it adds an element of a strategy. You know, car selections huge and stock eliminator. Can't you can't bypass that. Um, but I do think if no one's running it, if somebody goes out there and they try it again, and they just, you know, having the same success that Evan Smith had. You know, if Evan Smith's not out there anymore and nobody else is out there anymore, then oh well, it should it should get reduced if that person feels that they want to submit it that's how i feel about it at least it would add a little bit more parity you'd see another well, 93 cobra out there you know there, there's always been help in racing right like so if a sanctioning body no matter whether it's oval track or whatever sees a certain combination isn't competitive and you want racers to come out and race that combo then you got to give it a little bit of help otherwise nobody would do it i think uh there was obviously when the Cobra jet, the modern Cobra jets came out, there was screaming and crying. And remember this was before the factory showdowns. There was a lot of screaming and crying at that 425 horsepower rating on the 08 Cobra jet. But, you know, I think that was a little low obviously, but it needed to be somewhat, you know, underrated. So it would encourage people to come do it. The thing that's happened in stock eliminator that, really started about 15 years ago is nobody was really buying new cars to go stock eliminator racing. And that's something that I think, you know, if you look at the sixties and all through the seventies, people, Hey, the 67 Chevelle is obsolete because the 68 came out and new cars got so expensive that, you know, nobody was taking a, a 2010 Camaro and ripping it apart to build a stocker out of it or a Mustang, it's just way too expensive. And then NHRA, the rating systems didn't change and engines went from being rated at, um, you know, I guess net horsepower to gross horsepower. So 
the the way that you would rate the engine to where it would fall in a class was not advantageous to run a new car. So I think the the showdown body styles or whatever uh, called paper cars or whatever you want, they were necessary to get new cars into stock eliminator. A lot of people complained about that, but I thought that was a good thing because maybe I don't want to say stock would be dead, but it would be a nostalgia class at this point because a lot of there's a lot of new cars out there now, but 15 years ago there weren't. Yeah, you're right, and I, and people do complain about the uh, the paper motor cars, but what the 428 pushrod motor? I mean, that's that's that that's the quote unquote paper motor, right? What's that? The 428 pushrod um, uh, motor that they run, and what was the other paper? Uh, well, when I say that, I mean the Daddy Warbucks car. That was that was a, a, a air fingers quote paper motor too, wasn't it? No, that the, the uh, Fazell's 08 car they built. 50 of those i'm mainly talking more about the fact that um you know you run two cars that were produced by ford you could have went to the dealership and bought them as production street cars and so obviously most stock eliminator cars are like that but as you got into the the late 2000s you know in order to say run a 2011 mustang gt in stock eliminator it was factory rated at 420 or whatever that that would make it like a double A car, right? At four twenty. Mm -hmm. So who in their right mind would ever build that? And you first have to go buy a thirty five thousand dollar Mustang and then rip it apart. So right. people really weren't doing that. Whether it's a Camaro or a Dodge, where I think even through the eighties, people were racing newer cars or new cars, whether they got them on deals or whatever. Um, and that kind of stopped happening. So. There had to be something done to continue to have new cars. Otherwise, it would literally just be nostalgia stock and super stock. And remember, unlike super stock where you could build a GT combination, you can't do that in stock eliminator. So if you want to continue to have new cars out there, you got to figure out a way to do it. So when I say a paper car, I mean a non-showroom you know, showroom floored production car. Right. Gotcha. Well, speaking of you know, the Cobra Jets, you did, you've driven uh, Anthony Bongiovanni's Cobra Jet, uh, his 08 Cobra Jet. You won a shootout with that. It was a, it was a Cobra Jet shootout, right? So it was just, you were just up against other Cobra Jets. It wasn't like a factory uh, showdown or anything like that, correct? Correct. 2011, that was the first year that Ford Performance, which was Ford Racing at the time, went uh, in conjunction with the NMCA. They held just like a special kind of like event for Cobra Jets. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to win that. There was two classes. There was like a index class, like a open comp style class. And then there was um, the two, three blower heads up class. And there was a four liter blower class too. So there's three classes. And uh, I ended up winning the whole thing. The, my two, three blower class, and then I beat, um, I think I beat Blaine Ramey in a four-liter car in the final in Anthony's car, which is now the car Kenny Mealy has. Um, and I won, I won the race. It was, it was pretty exciting. And then the week after, we went right from there to Indy, and I won double-A stock automatic class at Indy. So I went like, I think I went nine heads-up rounds in a row, which was like <laughs> wow. the greatest two weeks of racing of my life. 
And that, like looking back, the indie deal was neat because I think I beat one of the Emmons guys. I beat um, Bo Butner in the final, and I think I beat Drew Skillman. So like, it, I had to go through some pretty tough guys yeah, to win that, that race. That's pretty cool. Um, while we're on the factory, you know, cars, what's, I mean, I'm sure everybody's noticed here. What's the deal with the factory, uh, the Cobra jets in factory stock. They're just, there's, there aren't any anymore. What's going on. Do you know anything about this? I do. Um, so I, I'm not speaking for the racers because this is my opinion, but I have spoken to quite a bit of them. Uh, quite a few of the guys who are disheartened with the, way that the Ford combination was handled by NHRA. Um, I see both sides of it. You, you can't have total domination. Um, I may be a little biased. I'll say that up front because I do a lot of stuff with Ford. I'm part of the Ford thing there, but I do like the Dodges. I like the Chevys. I think there needs to be parity. Um, but I think the biggest problem that the Ford guys have is if you look back, there was domination by the Dodgers at one point and not really a whole lot was done about it. Granted, it wasn't a long stretch, but they did dominate. And I think the penalty was 50 pounds. And basically every race in a row that the Fords went faster, they got a pulley change. Well, that pulley change can be anywhere from about five grand to 15 grand, depending on how hard you want to work at changing converters and everything else, dyno time, to maximize power with that pulley. So that little $400 pulley is more like, can be like a $10,000, $15,000, maybe I'm exaggerating a little, uh, swap. So I don't care how much money you have. If every race you go to, you work your butt off and you win or you do well, and that's not their fault, but then you get penalized right after the race, um, that beats you down. And now you have another place to race where they're not penalizing you, which is the NMCA holly efi factory supercars well of course you're going to just go do that and there's not one of those guys that doesn't want to be at nhra but what do you do you just keep working your butt off and i'm not saying the other races aren't working hard but if you're working your butt off and spending the money and playing within the rules and you win and you get penalized then it beats you down and eventually you say i'm not going to do this anymore now my take is NHRA maybe should have been a little more diligent in figuring out how fast the Fords were going to go ahead of time. I don't think, you know, Ford submitted a combination that was 120 something horsepower better. Maybe NHRA should have been able to figure that out. Maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. That's not, you know, I'm not NHRA. I'm just speculating, but at least wait a race or two. Mm-hmm. If, if after two or three races, the top five guys are Fords, at least you have the grounds to go to the Ford guys and say, we got to do something here. But after every single race, I, I just thought that was not fair. And they, cause they didn't do that to the Dodges and they didn't do it. They still haven't done it. So. Is there I any get, plans in the future to like, you know, rectify this? And I think, I think NHRA would have to go to the key Ford guys and say, look, like, you know, we want it to be fair. Why don't you come out to a race? blah, blah, blah. And, and hopefully the guys do, maybe they will. I'd love to see the Fords back there. It it helps me. I, I, I have nothing to cover at those races if there's no Fords competing. So it's, you know, it's not as fun for me. Um, 
And I'm sure the other competitors want the Fords there. I mean, after a while, if it just becomes a Camaro show, like kind of like pro stock is, then you're going to lose guys. Like if, if guys like me who are writers and journalists aren't there covering it, then you're going to lose the momentum. So I think it's important that the Fords are there. I think it's important that NHRA figures out. I think the current deal with the current pulley is probably about right. Now you had one car, Skinner, who wasn't as competitive as the Camaros and Dodges, um, but it's hard to judge the whole Ford performance deal off of one car. You really need, you know, a Watson car there. You really need uh, a Skillman car there to really see where everybody falls. But, you know, those guys got pissed off at the actions of NHRA. And frankly, I, I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, you got to let it go a couple races, even if the, what's the penalty if the Fords win? I mean, then you got all this conspiracy stuff like, oh, you know, Don Schumacher is in uh, the ear of NHRA, you know, especially now. God, if Don Schumacher pulled out of, of drag racing, they'd be in big trouble. But I'm not saying that's the truth. I'm just saying that that's what people are talking about. Right. Suspicions that you know, people bring so, up. Yep. You know, I, I again, I think NHRA is pretty fair over time with stuff. I'm a little surprised that they didn't at least let it go two or three races, because what's the crime if Ford wins, right? I mean, what is the crime if Ford wins? You're not going to lose 30 Chevrolet Camaros. Um, you're still going to have plenty of field, full fields out there. So, man, I hope they fix it because I'd like to see them back. We'll send them this video. Right? Maybe, it'll, maybe it'll fix everything. And the funny thing is in NMCA, the Ford has a distinct advantage um, and you get mostly Fords. So, they're happy over there. So NHRA is going to have to actually do something, I think, to make them happy. Look, racers are customers. At the end of the day, racers are customers of the sanctioning body. And while you have to have a fair playing field, you also have to make people feel welcome. Anybody that's raced at like Norwalk Raceway Park, you know, or spectated there or worked there as media, Bill Bader and his crew, they got it right. You feel welcome there. You feel like you want to be there. They, they appreciate you, um, you know. And I think that's always important for, for the sanctioning body to make people feel like, you know, you're, they want you there. For me, that's kind of some of the benefit of the association races is because of that. I just feel like at the smaller associations, like they appreciate you coming and they, I feel like they're actually driving behind the sport, the NHRA divisionals. And I've never been to a national event, but it just, it feels more about the machine than the actual racer. Yeah, and I've raced a lot with Dave Lay and his group, and they have some stuff down here. Um, and those races are a ton of fun, and they provide a place for a person with a class car to go out and compete in that same circle of class racing. But I think everybody would agree that at the end of the day, there's nothing like racing for a Wally. There's nothing like racing at an NHRA you know, event. You just feel like that's the big leagues. And I think that's what most guys aspire to do to you know to go after is to get a wally to win one of those races um you know it's just i think it's just it's the way it is and there was a point in time where a lot of guys wouldn't go to other races if they had a class car it was like i don't i only race nhra um but i think that stigma is, is going away even in nmca they have a fantastic program for stock super stock uh, i think cone is the sponsor and they have a point series and they, they get 40 and 50 cars for a stock super stock at, at the uh, six events that they do every year. And that, those are fun races, man, because 
it's all muscle cards. You get to see all kinds of neat stuff. Um, they have nostalgia stock, super stock. They have a muscle car class. Uh, obviously, they have a ton of heads up stuff, but there's there's a lot of different opportunities. And now, of course, they have Holly EFI factory supercar. So they have a place for those guys to compete, too. It'll be interesting what the season looks like next year with all the stuff going on. So hopefully NHRA gets to put a schedule together and we actually get to race at those events. And I think it'll be good for NHRA and it'll be good for the racers. Yeah, the schedule looks good starting off in Gainesville, which is going to be a little bit different, but a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to heading to the Gator Nationals this year. I, you know, I love it all. I love NHRA racing, the NMRA, NMCA, you know, if there's drag racing, I'm there. Right. That's right. Passionate. I yep. like it. So you, I mean, on top of all this racing you've done and, uh, you know, the class trophies, the, the records, you weaseled your way into being a test driver for Ford performance. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been, you've been test driving cars since 2012 for them, right? Correct. Uh, the Shelby's, the GT three fifties, the GT five hundreds. I noticed that you, Test drove a 2020 Shelby GT500, and right out of the box, you're telling me that this thing went 1061 at 133 miles per hour. That is correct. That's not fudge. That's real. That's no modifications. No, you know. That's the, that's the real deal. And I think I think um, a guy who isn't even really that great. Of, I don't say that great, but he's a novice drag racer. A guy who has a YouTube channel went 1066 with. A, you know one that he bought so i mean it's at the same speed they are monsters those cars are they fly and it's like 4200 pounds if you could put it in you know stock and super stock terms it shows you how much horsepower things making to get uh 4200 pounds to go 133 on a stock street tire and the cool thing about it is um i've watched quite a few people who have had extremely little drag racing experience produce times from like low 11s uh down even into the 10s we went to uh, i was at the ford ford does a track to a thing called the track tour where they bring gt500s around the country at, at road courses and drag strips and they bring in some journalists they bring in local dealers and they bring in potential gt500 owners and um current shelby or mustang product owners car club people and such and they put them in the GT 500s on track and say, you know, here, try the car out. So I have a video on my YouTube channel uh, that I just put up like a couple of weeks ago. It's called Shelby drives a Shelby. My friend Shelby uh, was there and she has, I think, had a total of eight quarter mile passes or in, in her, her entire life in her Shelby GT, which I think she went 14. So she jumps in the GT 500 and she went, uh 1130 at 131 miles an hour so that's like i mean i mean you guys know that some people race their entire lives and don't get <laughs> a low 11 second time slip <laughs> or go anywhere near 130 miles an hour so she jumped the car works that good with ford's launch control system and it's, it has a drag mode and launch control so basically and that was without a burnout on a moderately prepped track so had they prepped the track and she did a burnout at that speed, she would have got a 10-7, 10-8 out of it, no problem. Which is just crazy to think, right? Like that you could do that. 
Yeah, that's insane. And <laughs> sounds fun too. I thought Brian was going to, as soon as you said, no one, you know, people raced their whole lives to go under 12 seconds. I was just waiting for Brian to say something. <laughs> no, nothing. But it's true, right? I mean, you know, if you, if you race a competitive and that, again, that's not a knock on anybody or whatever, but we all want to go as fast as we can. But you know, if you've put your heart and soul into running a 14 or a 13 or a 12 second stock eliminator car, you might, it might be great under the index, but everybody wants to go faster to just be able to jump in a car that is capable of tens and have very little experience, but yet you get to go that quick is kind of fun. I, I can definitely live that life. I mean, I, made very limited passes in this car like i said trying to run b you know we're under 11s i think i was running 11 10 75 10 85s last year first time out but that's and i got a 10 35 out of it this year and that it's starting to feel it's starting to feel fast like it's it was kind of boring the end of the year and i just want to see a 999 like that's my golden ticket there then then i'll know i went somewhere yeah, the coveted nines. Everybody wants that single-digit time slip. But I think there's difference too. Going tens in a went. new car, going tens in a new car like that are a lot different than say tens in like a '69 Camaro or uh, you know even well, the older Mustangs. Like there's no rattles. The steering's not vibrating. It, you know you have brakes that are road race capable, so you get down to the end and just just yeah. stop. There's zero drama. My car at 128 mile an hour is pretty boring. It's just like. You know, looking around, it doesn't seem that fast. Like, I can only, you know, but then you drive like a 72 duster and it feels like you're getting shot out of a slingshot. And you don't know where you're going to land, you know? You got that crisp Mopar steering going on there. So, <laughs> you know, just sawing on the wheel. Yeah. Well, and that's where like the Cobra Jet. So when I drove Anthony's car, I, I drove Anthony's car a couple months ago in Michigan, the, the Superstock car at 150 and change, 155 or something like that. And, that that gets that's moving, man. I mean, it might not be fast to a lot of people, but I think the difference between like a hundred and twenty mile an hour car, like when I was racing my car a lot, like even in high gear, you just felt like if worst case scenario, man, I could jam on the brakes, put the clutch in, and you're not really going. I could get it down to 60, 70 miles an hour. When you're up around 150 and that thing that motor's screaming at eight thousand. You're just kind of like at the mercy of the car at that point. If something goes wrong, it's not like you're just going to stop. You're just, inertia is taking over. Especially yeah, if it's 4,200 pound inertia. <laughs> yeah, really. You're going through the wall at that point, but you got yeah. airbags and stuff. So, hey, why not? <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, I got to ask, you know. Um, about you have all these class trophies, you got all these records. I mean, the performance aspect of stock, you know, lives in you for sure. Um, do you think there should be like rewards or bonuses or something for setting records, qualifying number one, you know, winning class, things like that? Absolutely. I actually probably about 10 years ago drew up a proposal and I sent it to NHRA. Um, of course, well, Unfortunately, I never heard back from anybody, but I drew up a proposal that rewarded, I mean, it's supposed to be a performance-based class. So it qualifying class, you know, if you race a round of, you know, class eliminations or whatever, I thought there should be points for records and things like that. And maybe there's like, you know, points for records, but you can only set X amount per year. So you're not sitting there like every weekend setting records to gain points, but being that it's a performance-based class. 
I always felt like, and this is not a knock on anybody who's ever won a championship because they're a good bracket racer. Um, Cause most of the guys who end up winning a championship have a fast car too. But I always felt like you looked at the guys who won the championships and the, most of them were bracket all-stars. And I always thought that the guy who's really good at tuning and building a car should be re rewarded, maybe not equally, but should have an opportunity to, you know, do well, maybe get a top 10 finish or even win a championship. You know, you look back to the age of, you know, the Ronnie Sox and Bill Jenkins, when the performance of the car was everything, not that those guys weren't good drivers, but, you know, if you want people to spend money and make their car fast and have manufacturers involved, then the performance of the car has to be important. And not that it's not because you can't win a championship or even a race or sometimes even a round with a car that doesn't work good. But yes, I would absolutely love to see points for those types of things. Um, and I think it would be, hopefully it'd be a draw for uh, getting guys, you know, to try to make their cars faster. It would, it, it would have motivated me when I was racing for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. I'd love to see that proposal too, if you want to send it over to me when we're finished. Close. Yeah, that was about 10 years ago. I don't even know if it, if it exists anywhere in my computers, but I, uh, I, I drew up a whole big thing about how, you know, say like at a points meet or a national event, you invert top 16 guys for qualifying, get points uh, towards the championship, you know, whether it's 16 and then down to one or, you right. know, something something along those lines setting a record why not award points why not award why not award points for um winning a round of of uh class eliminations definitely and, and just no. torturing your car in a class runoff i mean you should, you should get something for that right talking about say uh there'll be people that say oh there's no cars in my class or oh there's only one car well that's on the racer go build a b-stock automatic Go build an H stock automatic. If you want extra points, you know, that's where being savvy and figuring out guys are savvy like Bob Swan or whatever, who are, um, or Bob Shaw rather who build, you know, these cars like that Cadillac go to Indy qualify number one with a weird combination. You know, it'd be cool to see more of that kind of stuff, but then get a real reward for doing it. You know, along the lines of that, what's one rule you'd like to see changed by the NHRA? Oh man. Um, one rule that I would like to see changed, <sighs> man, that's a tough one. Um, I'd like, I'd like them to bring tech back like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and enforce the rules they currently have. That's a great <laughs> answer. Rule, yeah. Hey, if I got, if I got thrown out, everybody should get thrown out. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of miss going to India and seeing 30 and it's a manpower thing. It's not that they don't want to do it, but yeah, like, honestly, I'd like to really see tear, tear down, be brought back. Um, that, that to me was always like a rite of passage, right? Like nobody liked doing it except for maybe Billy Hawk. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, I, that was like a rite of passage. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail on that one, but you made it through the tech barn, especially at Indy and you can stick your chest out and I've made it through and I've not made it through. So you push so you're it in and out, push it back in then you just stick it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the Jersey shore, right? In and out. <laughs>
Oh, come on. You had to go there? <laughs> well, off the wall question that I have to ask everybody, or Brian usually asks it, but uh, what do you think of true start and e-shift? It's a two-for-one question. True start being worse red light loses and e-shift, you know what that crap is. So go yep. ahead. I'll start with e-shift. Uh, I think it should be allowed on cars that came with automatic shift, which I guess if an automatic transmission shifts itself from the factory, I don't have a problem with it shifting as long as you can make it work without, you know, a solenoid or an RPM activated thing. If you could figure out how to make it shift um, in its true automatic fashion, then fine. On a newer car that came with electronic, even though they're automatic transmission uh, in electronic EFI cars, they do shift based on electronic things happening in the computer. So that's the way the car came. I don't see a problem with it. The, should, the, should they have to use that transmission though? What's that? Should they have to use that transmission? No. Okay. No, because I, like I, mean, your... I, I think the transmission, I think, is, is a pricey thing. So use what's durable and what works good. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Look, I, my car or anybody racing a stick, they never came with Jerichos and G-forces. and oh, faced Brian, with the Evan. Evan, you're my new best friend. Welcome to Team E Shift. Hey, what's what's fair is fair, right? Exactly. Um, Show me the Mustang that came with a Liberty or Jericho there, Bobby. Right. So I don't have a problem with with the high, you know, the highfalutin automatics. Um, as far as the, the red light deal, I'm on the fence about that because there's the old adage, right? Like the faster guy gets the advantage. But I at the end of the day, I think the best racer should win the race. So if I have to give you an answer, I think that the worst red light goes home. Um, I just, I hate the idea that, you know, you can be awful on the tree behind somebody red lighting. Like you should still have to stay focused and cut a good light. Um, but you'd probably get obviously the argument of, Hey, you know, I built a faster car. I deserve, you know, I deserve it. I, I don't know. That's maybe that's old thinking. And maybe racing would be better. I think maybe it's something that they try. And if people don't like it, oh, well. Um, and going back to actually a rule change in stock, because something just came into my head. So I'm going to back up. I do actually have a rule that I would love changed. Um, and again, I haven't raced competitive stock and super stock in a little while. So maybe my opinion isn't as strong. But I would absolutely love to see sticks and autos combined. At the end of the day, I think the advantage of a stick is outweighed by the radial tire on an automatic as far as performance goes. I think at one point I did an analysis years ago, and if you threw out the fastest car and the slowest car in like almost 90% of the classes, there was parity. And I think it, the class racing would be better. It'd be more exciting. Um, and there's not that many stick cars overall, if you look at it. So the automatic guys, you know, it's not like they're going to be losing to a stick every time. I think it would be pretty fair. And I think that the, the main reason for doing that would be to have less classes. So NHRA could maybe go after some, some sponsors and sanction and um, contingency money because they would have to pay out less. So if you yeah. go to a manufacturer and you only have to ask them for 12 classes worth of contingency versus like 50, they're more likely to get involved. And, you know, I think having class eliminations with 15 and 20 cars in a class would be kind of cool, right? Like yeah. really earn it, 
but really get a payoff. Like you said before, I don't want to beat the shit out of my car. Sorry, I cursed for, for no reward. But if there's a cool reward, if it's, you can win a couple thousand bucks, then, you know, worthwhile. That's a, uh, that might be our new controversial question. Should sticks and autos run together? Yeah. Like, All day long. Gonna... Let's do it. Love you know, it. we did it. We did it in junior stock in, uh, in division one, when we ran junior stock and by and large, it was pretty damn equal. Um, the, the fast automatic guys could absolutely run, you know, right with us. Uh, Henry Koontz and um, Noland and Mark Dickerson, those guys, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Um, it was, there was a lot of parity. And in top stock, too. If, if you can't What's keep up? up with a stick with a $6,000 or $7,000 pro trans, then, yeah, right. then why race? Exactly. So another question is how do you think, you know, you're just like me, you're kind of first generation drag racer. What tips do you have for bringing more people into the sport or for people thinking about getting into it? How do you suggest they start? How do we attract them and how do people that want to try it get going? Drag racing in general or stock eliminator? Stock eliminator. Stock. Um, I think in keeping with the times, shorter races, guys, people can't spend four days at a race anymore. It's just time doesn't allow with work and things like that. And then, you know, maybe have, uh, I guess a cool way would maybe be she'll have NHRA or somebody really put a focus on low buck stockers. Like, what does it take to get to run under the index? Like maybe do it. And that might be something that I can even do. Uh, I can propose to David Kennedy at NHRA and Phil Burgess and even Kevin McKenna um, and say, Hey, let me do a story on like, you know, under $10,000 stockers that run the index, because you could take a Fox body like Bobby runs. And at least we're talking about getting started or a 305 Malibu, a car you can buy inexpensively. And at least get it to where it runs the index where you can go to a points race and you can race and learn how to race. Um, from a youth standpoint, it's tough because for the money that it takes to build a stock or super stock car, you can generally build a car that's two seconds quicker in the quarter mile using just whatever aftermarket parts, blowers and heads and nitrous. So the appeal has to be working on the car, figuring out the combination, the satisfaction has to come from the science, not necessarily the ET and the speed. And that's tough with young people because everybody wants to go fast. Mm. So, I blame Ricky Bobby for that. It's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Evan, it's been this hour, more than an hour flew by and I can't thank you enough for, for joining us. I just have, you know, one last question for you. Well, it's actually a double question. One's a quick one. Um, what, you know, what one guest would you like us to have on this show? Can I pick two? Sure, go for it. All right. Kevin McKenna of NHRA and Randy Lynn Ship. Ooh, all right. I nominate Randy Lynn. You nominate Randy Lynn Ship. Hopefully she's listening. And then my, my last, uh, my real final question is, um, you have any sponsors or special people you want to thank for all your success? Absolutely. Um, all the folks at Ford who've 
worked with me over the years, Jesse Kershaw and Jennifer Flake and uh, God, Alan Hall. There's like a million of them um, over there who I've worked with and still work with Ken Felcher and Dave Bourne and just Mike Delahante, all the guys that have given me opportunities to do stuff um, with Ford, whether it was testing cars or working on the websites and John Clore. I mean, there's Jim Owens. I can name a million of them. Uh, Anthony Bongiovanni is at the top of the list for sure. Anthony was the first guy who hired me when I went out on my own. I started Revan Media. He's been a friend. Um, he's been somebody who I look up to, who I admire uh, on so many different levels. Um, it's I can't even explain to, to you how you know, generous he's been to me. And it's just fun working with the guy and putting me behind the wheel of his Cobra jets. You know, I understand the value of those cars and for, you know, him to put me in there and let me race those cars all the time is just something that I, I, you know, owe him a lot for, um, the guys at Watson racing worked with them for quite a while. They built the Cobra jets. They do a lot of neat stuff and I do quite a bit with Chuck and Chuck senior. So those guys, I owe a bunch of thanks to, um, and uh, I guess the guys at Holly as well. I mean, I've been doing a ton of stuff with Bill Tishner, whether it's content, working on some of the events that they're putting on. We're actually going to do at the Ford Fest next year, which this might interest you, Bobby. We're going to do probably the biggest Fox Body Mustang blowout event that's ever been done. Uh, it's not even been announced yet. I'm announcing it here. Um, you'd have to look for the NMRA World Final Dates, but it's like usually in October but we are putting together a giant Fox body deal, the likes of which I think have never been done before. Um, I'll have more details on that and I'll get you info so you can put it up on the Facebook yes. page. And then if I could drop in some shameless plugs, um, my YouTube channel is Revan Evan, just R-E-V-A-N Evan, uh, official Ford guy on Instagram. And last but not least, I got to thank, well, I got to thank my father-in-law and my parents and all that because they're into racing and, you know, they're fun people to hang out with. But today's my 15th anniversary, my wife, and Diane puts up with a lot of crap, my travel, my crazy antics with uh, my simulator behind me and, you know, <laughs> being on the phone all the time and texting and racing and doing all kinds of stuff. But she's the best. I love her. And today's our uh, 15th wedding anniversary. So happy anniversary, babe. And uh, I think that's about it. I'm probably forgetting somebody here, but uh, so whoever I forgot, I apologize, but it's been a fun ride so far. I, I'm enjoying life. Well, happy so anniversary. Just, yeah. Go ahead and put any links to that too on this Facebook feed for people that are watching that want to be able to find you. If you can put your links to your social media on yeah, there, it'd be I'll an easy way for them to find them. And, and, and thank you guys. I mean, it's been a great hour. I really appreciate uh, the plugs, the kind words. And uh, I can't thank you guys enough for having me on. It's been, uh, it's been fun. All right. Yeah, it has really it. flown by. I've, uh, I've got an education in the Ford side. My, my still favorite Ford car is that Ford GT back behind you on the picture. Like, I, uh, oh, I that, the whole story I, behind I, it. it. I got to drag test that too for Ford. That was kind It's of like fun. the only American-made supercar, right? Like, that's just always had a soft spot in my Mopar heart, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love Mopars too. My father-in-law is a stock eliminator guy. He races a Mopar. I tried to get him in here, but he's he's shy. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks for everybody for listening. I think uh, 
thank you, Evan, for coming on. Um, for everybody listening, feel free. Remember to go onto our YouTube channel, hit the bell, subscribe, um, share, leave comments on our Apple Podcasts. You guys have been really supportive, and this has been a lot of fun. And it just seems like every episode, I feel like I'm the listener. Like I'm just, I want to do this to help learn information and suck in as much as I can, and just make the world of stock luminary racing and super stock just a lot better. Class racing today at gmail.com is our email. You guys got comments, questions, and feedback. Appreciate all feedback. And Instagram, class racing today. So thank you, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a safe weekend and enjoy. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm checking out. All right. All right. Bye bye.